0: Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If this podcast has encouraged you in any way, we'd like to ask you to leave a review for Truth Wars on whichever platform you listen on. Now, here's Olin. Okay, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. We've been doing a series this summer uh, called Killing Sin's Roots. The idea is to try to uh, trace our sin down to the deepest root possible, where it starts, kind of learn the patterns of how Satan pursues us, tempts us, attacks us, uh, so that we can be better experts on his schemes and fight back, uh, hopefully even before the sin starts, so to speak. Okay, so a very brief review. Um, In the very beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden, right with the Lord, Satan comes and he lies and he makes accusations, and essentially he says, God's not good enough uh, you should not trust God and His ways to provide the best for you. And uh, you lack something. Uh, and if you really want your best life now, so to speak, you're going to have to take matters into your own hands, uh, break a few rules, but get the best life. And they buy the lie, bite the fruit, and ruin the whole universe for us. Uh, and that has been the pattern ever since. Okay. Now, as soon as Satan, in a sense, tempts people into sin... Then, in some sense, he switches his strategy, or at least he adds to it, and he becomes the condemner. How dare you? Look at this shame. Uh, Look at this sin in your life. Look how bad you are. And again, in a sense, the suggestion is the same. You're going to have to take care of yourself, you're going to have to cover up. There's this instinct to self protect. And we see Adam and Eve in the garden doing this. They put on fig leaf righteousness. And in a sense, that's a sense of us trying to put our best foot forward, our good works forward. But look at all the good I'm doing. I'm not that bad. And then that doesn't work, so they run and they hide in fear. they okay? just kind of terrorized. And we see people doing that today a lot of times. Like, I'm just so overwhelmed. Don't be mean to me. Don't talk to me about the bad stuff in my life. And then when we finally kind of get convicted in a way that we can't get away from it, we just start making all these excuses. It's not really my fault. It's kind of your fault, God. You put me here. You made me this way. What about the woman? What about the man? What about the serpent? We become... Blame shifters. Now, um, really, what they and what we are trying to do with these excuses, with the running, with the hiding, with the blame shifting, with the putting our best foot forward is we're trying to find ways to deal with the pain and the pressure of life. And that's what we're going to look at today. Okay? You could call this sinful self-protection. But let me kind of say this at the outset. There are lots of legitimate ways to deal with the pain and the pressure of life, and that's not wrong to do, right? Let me just give a kind of almost a silly example. Let's just say I had some low back pain, and I decided, well, you know what? If I go home this afternoon after church and get drunk, by the way, I've never done this, okay, on a Sunday afternoon, that'll take away my low back pain. Well, technically that would get rid of the the pain for a while, but that's a bad strategy. It's a sinful strategy, right? If I said, you know what, if I go home and I take a few Tylenol, that get okay, nothing wrong with Tylenol. Go home and take your Tylenol. To the degree that you can deal with the pain and the pressure of life in legitimate ways, we should. God gave us a brain. He wants us to use it. But what we have to be careful about is when we start trying to deal with the pain and the pressure of life in sinful ways. Now, non-Christians tend to do this in pretty outwardly scandalous ways, right? They, they self-medicate with things like pornography and pot. For most growing Christians, that probably... Those are probably not the main ways that we seek to self-medicate and protect ourselves. Our ways are much more subtle and nuanced sometimes. And that's what I want us to look at, how Satan comes and suggests some of these things too. I mean, at some level, we're looking for a measure of control, assurance, significance, satisfaction, security, which in and of themselves are not bad things. But they can become bad things if we idolize them and we say, I have to have them, and I don't care what it takes for me to get them. Richard Lovelace, listen to this quote, okay? He says... Those who aren't secure in Christ cast about for spiritual life preservers with which to support their confidence. And in their frantic search, they cling to the shreds of ability or righteousness they find in themselves. It is put on as though it were armor against self-doubt. And it can never be removed except through a comprehensive faith in the saving work of Christ. Now, again, we could hear that quote and we could say, Well, I am confident in Christ all the time. Every second, right? We, we all struggle with doubts at times, right? And we get into trouble. So, very briefly, look at Hebrews chapter 12.1. This is not where we're going to spend most of our time, but just by way of introduction. Fairly famous verse. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay. Notice that phrase. The sin that so easily entangles us. Now, if we were going to take this Sunday school class to a whole new depth this morning, don't worry, we're not going to do it, and let's say, let's all share the one sin that seems to so easily entangle me personally, and then you go next. We're not going to all say the same sin, are we? Based on our unique personalities, our unique histories, our unique experiences, our unique family upbrings, all those type of things, some of us struggle with different sins. And part of what I'm trying to get us, myself included, to do is be more of an expert on why do I struggle with that sin? Why does that sin so easily entangle me so much more than others so that I can try to cut it off at its root before it even starts to fully blossom? Does that make sense? Okay, So we're going to look at Satan uh, this morning. Satan's temptation, Satan's repetition, and Satan's salvation, which you may say, that sounds really screwy. Well, just wait till we get there, and I'll explain it. Uh, So let's all flip over to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we spent a whole week on this looking at the temptation of Jesus. So we're not going to go as in depth on it this morning. But remember, Satan came and tempted Jesus in three different ways. And with three different things that in and of themselves were not bad. Jesus was hungry. Satan said, why don't you make some bread on your own? Food's not a bad thing in the right time and the right way. Uh, You look like a loser, you don't have any followers, why don't you jump off the top of the temple, do some miracles, prove yourself, instant followers. Not wrong for Jesus to want followers, he was going to get followers. He just had to do it in the right time, the right way, not in Satan's way. And the last one was like, hey, take back the whole world. Now, let's look at this one briefly. Because this is why Jesus had come, to take the whole world back from Satan. Satan. Matthew chapter 4, starting verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, when you read the whole passage, I don't know about you. I've studied it a couple of times. It almost seems like Jesus takes the first two temptations in stride. Do you understand what I mean? Hey, Jesus, I notice how hungry you are. You could turn these rocks into bread. And he's like, man doesn't live by bread alone. What else you got, Satan? Let's go up to the temple and jump off. And Satan even quotes a verse that time. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Don't test the Lord your God. But this third temptation, it seems like it strikes a chord with Jesus. And he's like, get out of here. Scram, Satan. Now, why? Because the, the, the temptation under the temptation, so to speak, was this. Skip the cross to get the crown. You came back. To win back planet earth for your father, I'll give you a shortcut. You can get out of the pain and the pressure of the cross that's impending. He runs him off. Okay, Now, listen to this quote by John Calvin. All these things, says he, Satan, are mine. And it is only through me that they are obtained. We, speaking about believers, have to contend every day with the same imposture. For every believer feels it in himself. Though we are convinced that all our support and aid and comfort depend on the blessing of God, yet our senses allure and draw us away to seek assistance from Satan as if God alone were not enough. You understand what he's saying? I mean, just we all know the right answers. God is enough. God is sufficient. God is good. God is provide. But in the hardship of life, when we start to feel pain and pressure, we get real tempted. It's like, it doesn't seem like God is blessing me the way I would like him to bless me right now. So maybe I just need to help him a little bit and do it my own way. Right? Now, I just, you know, I've done this a couple weeks. I'm sharing different examples from people, and I'm, you know, you won't be able to figure out who I'm sharing them about. But part of what I'm trying to do, in a sense, is prime the pump of our mind to think about, okay, how do I do this? So I know one woman that grew up with a mom that was very kind of emotionally and verbally abusive and was always like, you're not enough, you're not doing this, you're not pretty enough, you don't do this enough, you're never going to get married. So so what was the lie that Satan started to whisper into her mind? You're unlovable. And she just became this radical people pleaser. Kind of, I will do whatever it takes to make people like me. Probably most of us know people like that. I know another guy, I think I've mentioned him in here before, okay, grew up. Good family, had some coaches, compared him to his older brother, okay, and just started to feel like, I'm a failure. I'm never enough. My best is not good enough, just a failure. And so part of his strategies just started to come, I'm just not, I'm not going to try. I'll just kind of be apathetic. I'm just not going to risk because I always kind of get told it's not enough, okay? Listen, what are they doing? They're coming up with strategies to try to protect themselves from the pain and the pressure of life. And I could, I could go on and on. I know another guy. He just turns everything into a joke. Probably most of us have a friend like this. They're kind of funny to be around because they're so funny. But you can never have a serious conversation because if it ever gets too close to the heart, it'll turn into a joke. It's like a self-protection. Okay? I know another guy. Stoic. I remember talking to this guy at a young age, athlete. And he said, you know what? People make fun of me a lot. It really hurts. My strategy is I just act like I don't care. Right? Any of us do that one? Right? I just act like nothing bothers me. I'm tough. I'm John Wayne. Nothing bothers me. I know somebody else, okay? This person. Um, and there's a, listen, there's a reason that I'm giving a little piece of some of these people's stories. Because again, like we saw specifically with Job, Satan is a master of using the circumstances of our life to try to convince us about half-truths about ourselves and about God. This woman grew up in a broken home and when she was very young her stepfather sexually molested her. Now that'll mess you up, right? So she kind of got this thing, I'm a victim. Well, in some sense, that's that's true. She was a victim there. Now, she's much advanced in life now. She's a believer. And yet when some hard stuff happens in her life, even when she's done something wrong and somebody tries to say, "Hey, you know, you made a bad decision there." She can just revert back to, "No, it's not my fault. I'm the victim." All this has been done to me. You understand? It's kind of like, I, I don't have to deal with anything. It's not my fault. I'm a victim. Give me one more, maybe. Okay. Um, another girl grew up with an alcoholic dad. And she never knew what kind of dad she was coming home to. Sometimes he was the fun drunk. Happy, happy, laugh, laugh, joy, joy kind of drunk. Other times he was mad, yelling, hit, scream, that kind of. So she became an expert Almost like she said, I could, when my dad answered the phone, even the way he said hello, I could tell what kind of mood he was in. And I would plan out the rest of my afternoon and day whether I needed to avoid him or did it make sense. So her strategy is, if I just have good enough plans with my husband, with my kids, with my job, with my fr- whatever, I can avoid all pain and pressure. Now she's smart enough to not know that, to know that's not true. But kind of in moments where heat is put on, it starts to feel true. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Okay. Now, um, let's flip over to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And let me say this while I'm turning there, because I think this is really important for us. Sometimes these strategies, as many of these examples that I'm sharing, they get developed when you're a young child. And at that point, they're not necessarily sinful. I mean, would anybody want to talk to a little elementary school girl that had an alcoholic father They become abusive and say, well, you shouldn't try to have a plan for how to avoid your debt." No, you'd say, that's actually a pretty genius way to live. Nothing sinful in that. But as you grow and mature, if that subtly becomes the whole way that you deal with every relationship in life, at some point you cross a line and it does become sinful. Listen, partially, guys, because it's just a burden you can't carry. You're never going to have good enough plans to prevent all pain and pressure in life. It's not going to work. You're setting yourself up for failure. Now, second point, repetition. Matthew chapter 16, and why do I say that? You don't have to be an expert in studying all four Gospels to know. I don't think there was ever another time where Jesus... Was tempted by Satan. Hey, Satan, I mean, hey, Jesus, let's do the whole rocks to bread trick. They never came up again. It doesn't seem like that. That was a, a, a strategy that Satan repeated. Why? Because he didn't seem like he really found a landing place. And here's part of what I'm trying to get us all to think about together. Satan is a. Imagine if you were a boxer. I've never been a boxer, okay, but I like Rocky movies, so that's almost the same, right? <laughs> what do you do if you're a good boxer? If you figure out my opponent has a broken left rib, what is my goal for the rest of the whole boxing match? Hit that left rib as many times as I can, as hard as I can. And this is what Satan does with all of us. Where's the weak point? And once he finds it, let me wear it out from every different angle I can. So how's he going to come back at Jesus again? Again. Matthew 16, starting verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Just pause and put yourself into Peter's. I mean, listen, at first glance, this sounds like Peter's being a good friend, right? I love you, Jesus. I don't want you to die. This sounds like godliness. Think better of yourself, Jesus. Don't give in to this stuff. But if we dig a little bit below what was probably going on in Peter's heart and mind, it was this. Well, Jesus is going to be the king. I'm his A number one disciple. I'm going to get to be like prime minister or something like that. If he's saying he gets tortured to death, what are they going to do to me? This sounds bad. I want to find a way out of the pain and pressure of life. And even if I have to go correct the guy that I just said was the Messiah... I'm willing to do it. Jesus, very gently, verse 23, but he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your minds on God's interests but man's. Now, here's where Jesus is light years ahead of us. In this little moment of temptation, he knows exactly what's going on. He doesn't see a talking snake, but he knows that Satan is manipulating his friend to tempt him, the same thing, just in a different way. Here's Matthew Henry. It is the subtlety of Satan to send temptations to us by the unsuspected hands of our best and dearest friends. Even the kindness of our friends are often abused by Satan and made use of as temptation to us. We should learn to know the devil's voice when he speaks in a saint as well as when he speaks in a serpent. The girl that grew up as a terrible people pleaser, she got married. She just married a really harsh, critical guy. So what's the message she's getting from her husband now that she got from her mom? Same thing, you're not lovable. Now, here's the interesting thing. Uh, she kind of switched strategies because the whole people-pleaser thing didn't work to her. I mean, Which is not a gospel center strategy, but she just swung the pendulum to the other side and said, I'm not changing anything for anybody. You don't like, you know, the way I cook, the way I clean, the way whatever? I'm not. Who cares? You're going to love me exactly the way I am. I was like, well, okay, she quit being a people-pleaser, but that's not really that much more of a gospel strategy either. <laughs> right? Because the gospel says, Jesus loves you, but you're not perfect. He doesn't want to grow you up and change you. A friend who felt like a failure because of what coaches said to him grows up, gets a job, and his first job assignment doesn't go really well. Not his fault. He worked hard. He was faithful. It was just a really tough assignment. He didn't do well. But what does it do? It just reinforces the message. You're a failure. So again, he just kind of goes deeper into this kind of apathy. Not going to try hard. If I don't try hard and then I fail, it's kind of like I, you know, I don't feel as bad. That's a bad word. I mean, again, he can spiritualize it. Well, I'm just trying not to be a workaholic. That's good. You don't need to be a workaholic. But you don't just live in apathy. Okay? Listen, part of what Satan is trying to do for every one of us, guys, is, is, is suggest to us a false gospel. A way in a sense that we can protect ourselves from the pain and pressure of life. And a lot of times, again, it can seem like it's pretty good, but it doesn't really fully line up with the truth. Just like Peter. Sound like, Hey, Jesus, don't go to the cross. I mean, again, that sounded loving, and yet that was the worst thing he could have said to Jesus. And that's why Jesus, pretty harshly... I mean, I get this mental image. Like, Peter's kind of like, Hey, Jesus, let me pull you over here aside from the other 11. I don't want to embarrass you with what I'm about to say, but uh, I really don't think this is a good idea, this whole cross business. And it's like Jesus turned around, and very loudly, so that Peter and all the disciples could hear, said, Get behind me, Satan. Because he like... <coughs> The temptation for him was real, and the temptation for his disciples was real, and he was trying to push back. Okay, now, um, third point, Satan's salvation. And what I mean by that, obviously, is his, his false view of salvation he's trying to suggest to us. Slip over to Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Right, you know what, before you do, I'm sorry, look, look back at uh, Matthew 16. Just look at what Jesus says, his little teaching after this. Again, fairly famous Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, there's a right way that I say, No, no, where I can legitimately avoid pain and pressure in this life, I will do it. But where I would have to sin to avoid pain and pressure in this life, I don't do it. I just embrace the pain and pressure. I've got some friends in the military... And they have a little phrase that I won't share in Sunday school, but it's probably a little too colorful for Sunday school, okay? But, but it's the whole idea of embrace the hardship, right? You get some new soldier, they go on their first mission, they're outside, it's cold, it's raining, people are shooting at you, and they're like, this is really hard and sad and not fun. It's like, what would you expect? You signed up for this. Embrace the hardship. And listen, that's in a sense what Jesus was saying to the disciples, and he's saying to me and you. When pain and pressure comes and there's no legitimate way to avoid it, you embrace it. And listen, this is not about being stoics. This is not about being Clint Wood for Jesus. There's a right way to grieve. But I don't try to get out, I press forward, even when I have to deny myself and die. Okay. So, Matthew 27, and let's start in verse 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. Now, we don't know for 100% sure, but it's likely that this was some type of narcotic drink they were giving him to numb the pain. And why would the soldiers do that? Again, we're not 100% sure. Maybe it was right before they crucified him. They tried to numb the pain a little bit so they could more easily get him nailed to a cross. And Jesus says, once he figured out what it was, like, I don't want that. This is what my Father has called me to do. I will fully embrace the pain that comes along with it. I need my wits about me so I can navigate this hardship correctly. Again, Satan is suggesting to all of us false ways, sinful ways to numb our pain. That might work in the short run. They'll never work in the long run. Now, um, Skip down to verse 39. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him. Before we do this, let me just let me just stop here and do this, okay? If you had to sum up the greatest temptation in Jesus' life, put it in your own words. What would you say? Not to go to the cross. Don't go to the cross. Okay, great. Verse forty, and saying, "You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself." If you are the Son of God, just pause right there. What's that remind you of? Remember Matthew 4? Two different times, Satan. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And look at who's saying this. Those passing by. Just random passerbys on the highway. Save yourself. You're really the Son of God. Prove it. Come down. Verse 41, in the same way, the chief priest also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. I mean, think about the power of that temptation. You want the the ruling class, the religious class, to finally believe in Jesus? Just do one more miracle. Come down from the cross, and we'll believe. Sounds pretty spiritually minded. Verse 43, he trusts in God. They're even quoting scripture to him now. He trusts in God. Sounds like Satan all over again. Let God rescue him now, if he delights in him, for he said, I am the Son of God. Verse 44, the robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. You see what's going on? In the moment of Jesus' greatest weakness, greatest pain, greatest pressure from three different ways those who had planned the execution, those who were being executed with him, and just random people seemingly passing by. It's like they're all conspiring. And they didn't know what they were doing, but Satan did behind the scenes to say, come down, save yourself. It was the false gospel. Listen, guys, Satan has no mercy. He doesn't take naps or vacation days. He's ruthless, and he's after us. And he's been doing it for thousands of years, and he's an expert. Here's Calvin again. And whenever God does not assist us according to our wish, but conceals his aid for a little time, it is a frequent strategy of Satan to allege that our hopes were to no purpose, as if his promise failed. This is a very sharp arrow of temptation which Satan holds in his hand when he pretends that God has forgotten us because he does not relieve us speedily. Satan, therefore, attempts to drive us to despair by this logic that is vain for us to feel assured of the love of God when we do not clearly perceive his aid. You understand what he's saying? Listen, when everything in your life is going wonderful, your stocks are rising, you're getting promotions at work, all your kids are walking with the Lord, you and your wife are just having the greatest date nights, all your prayers are being answered, you just let a guy of Christ in your body. It's like everything's wonderful. It's like, and somebody says, do you believe God loves you? You're like, yes. And they say, do you feel like God loves you? Yes. Yes, I feel it. I believe it, you know. Are you tempted to God? Kind of, not really. Not really. I'm not really tempted in any way right now. Everything's wonderful. What about when your life's falling apart? I mean, you've got a demotion instead of a promotion. Right? And the stock market's crashing, and your Bible study's going terrible, like people just quit coming. Right? They just limped out the back door. You know? <laughs> Young business leaders called and said, we don't need you to lead a table next year. And you and your wife just seem to be kind of nitpicking each other to death all the time. And it looks like all your children are falling away. Then, somebody says, do you believe God loves you? Of course I believe God loves me. go to Briarwood. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's your best friend and you're going to be gut level honest, they say, I want you to be Brutally honest. Me. Now, in, in, in the depths of your soul, do you really feel like the Lord loves you? Probably a lot of say, I don't feel it. Now, I'm, I'm struggling with temptation. Like Joe did. Like Peter did. Are you being tempted? Yeah, I'm being tempted to do some pretty stupid stuff. Because the pain's just Overwhelming. Listen, we're trying to protect ourselves. We're trying to vindicate ourselves. We're trying to answer our own prayers sometimes. Again, in sinful ways. Maybe a classic example of this in the Old Testament is David and King Saul, right? David's doing his best to be a godly guy and it just seems like things are going from bad to worse in one sense. And what did all his men keep suggesting to him? And let's just be honest. If we had been one of David's men's, living in the cave. Hiding in the cave. And oh, by the way, Saul just happens to decide, this is the cave I'll go in all by myself to relieve myself. I mean, I think, David, this has got to be God. you got to kill Saul. It's just obvious what the Lord's doing. But David said, no, no, I'm not going to sinfully self-protect. I'm not going to sinfully try to relieve myself of the pain and pressure in life. God will do it his way, his timing. He stayed humble. He stayed dependent. Now, I mean... Try to help us all think about application. Okay, I, I pray that you'll spend some time this week thinking, praying. If you've got one of the Bible studies using that, again, you get stuck, talk to your spouse. It's amazing how helpful they can be even when you don't want them to be helpful on these type of issues. I don't know what that guy's talking about. I don't know if it really applies to me. What do you think? Well, i got some notes for you. So, so let me try to share a personal example from my own life. Okay? I think one of my strategies... Is to be what I would call an uber truth teller. Well, just track with me for a second. He's like, speaking the truth. We need more people in this world speaking the truth. That sounds biblical. Amen. Okay? One of, I think, my gifts and callings. But here's where it can become a sinful self protection. When my wife, or one of my kids, or maybe a good friend or an employee says, I got some constructive criticism for you. Now, here's the problem. Most times they don't deliver it quite that well, right? It's more in the heat of the moment, in the middle of an argument. And what do I want to do? I want to come back over the top. I want to drop into cold, rational, prosecuting attorney. And anything they say that's slightly off, I can nitpick them to death. That's not true. What you just said is an exaggeration. I'm not always late, you know. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? And I can, listen, I can slice and dice them. What am I doing? Sinful self-protection. It's like, I've had a hard day, I've had a hard week, I've had a long month. I don't need to come home and get more feedback from y'all. Back off. Now, what should I do? If I'm really resting in the finished work of Christ, take up my cross, deny myself, humble myself, be willing to lose myself, be willing to lose my reputation be willing to lose my self-righteousness be willing to lose some peace at home to gain something, to gain some holiness, to gain some maturity, to gain some insight. Does that make sense? Yeah. I've got a mentor one of the things he says, uh, he says it a lot of people but I, it's like the Lord gave it to him for me he says, stay warmly present just think about that long enough, and if your personality is anything like mine, it'll be very convicting. He you know, says, Olin, when you, in your situation like that, stay present, right? And I'm like, i just stay present just like this. <laughs> <laughs> stay warmly present. Stay gentle. Here's a, here's a phrase I think the Lord gave me recently about one of my sons. We were having some conflict, and it really, is one of those times where a thought comes in my mind. I'm like, I don't think I put that there. I think that's from the Lord. It was a tenderly pursue. Because you know the way I like to pursue is like aggressively pursue like a linebacker. And I will tackle you and choke you and drag you to where I want you to be verbally. Probably not the best strategy nine times out of ten. Tenderly pursue. Patiently pursue. Gently pursue. Okay. Now, by God's grace, I'm growing. You know, but I, I'll just say this. Uh, especially when I was first married. <laughs> I mean, I, listen, and I didn't see it then. I thought I was this great, new, gifted campus outreach minister, blah, 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 blah. But really, I was self-righteous and arrogant. And when my wife would try to give me feedback, I mean, I could blow her out of the water with my truth-telling and logic. And what was I really doing? I was self-protecting in a sinful way. Whereas if I was godly, and I did have a few godly moments back then, not many. I'd calm down, I'd be humble, and I'd say, I love you, I trust you, tell me more. I'm taking off my armor, so to speak. Does that make sense? Listen, here's another thought. I think the Lord helped me see recently. It's been very helpful. All of life on this fallen planet is pain. You're not going to get away from pain. And here's what I mean. There's really two different kinds of pain. There's the destructive pain of sin. Anytime you choose to sin, there's going to be painful consequences eventually, right? Or there's the developmental pain of being righteous. So in some sense, all we're doing as Christians is we're just choosing. What kind of pain do I want today? The destructive pain of sin, which will eventually come. I get a little pleasure in the short run. The painful consequences will come later. Or am I willing to embrace the pain of the Lord's discipline and obedience so that I can be developed and grown? All right, in conclusion, let's, let's, let's look at just a few more verses here. Skip down to verse 45, or that's right where we left off. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, what's going on here with Jesus? There's a real experience of abandonment. And this time, Jesus doesn't look to the robbers, look to the chief priests, look to the passers-by and rebuke them like he did with Satan. He just cries out to his father, vindicate me. Where are you now? Just like David did in so many of the Psalms. <clears throat> I'm not going to try to vindicate myself, but Lord, where are you? Why are you asleep? Why don't you rise up? Why don't you vindicate me? And that's what Jesus is doing, praying the Psalms, meditating on the Psalms, looking to him. And... You'll probably know this, but over 40 times in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus talks about God, how does he refer to him? Father. Right, this term of deep intimacy and oneness and nearness. And here, he doesn't call him Father. But he still calls him my God, my God. I don't feel like You're close. I don't feel like you love me. I don't feel like you're my Father. But I still have faith. Even in all the pain and pressure of life, I still trust you. And I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. And let's just pause and think about this for a second, guys. If Jesus had wanted to come down off of the cross, could he have done it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If Jesus had wanted to protect himself from the pain and pressure of life, could he have done it? Yes, his strategy would have worked for him. At any point, he could have tapped out. He could have saved himself. But if he saved himself, he couldn't save us. And guys, all our little false strategies false gospels, they don't even work. That's part of the insanity of sin. They don't even work. They work in the short run. They don't work in the long run. They always backfire. They just lead to more pain. William Henderson said this. I love this quote. Hell came to Calvary that day, and the Savior descended into it and bore its horrors in our stead. Jesus was willing to embrace the pain and pressure of the cross of the wrath of God for our sins so that one day we could live and reign with him in paradise and to the degree that we sink the teeth of our spiritual soul into that truth and we taste and see that he's good and it's real to us the next time we're experiencing some kind of pain and pressure in life and we're tempted to use our kind of false gospel our false strategy our false armor we can lay it down and we say no 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 I'm going to embrace the cross I'm going to follow him I'm gonna go through this pain and pressure. I don't have to be a people pleaser. Because in Christ, the Father's pleased with me. Who cares what other people think? I don't have to be a perfectionist. Because in Christ, I'm already made perfect. I can let down, I can rest, I can be humble, I can trust. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness in the place of our faithlessness. <laughs> pray for myself. I pray for everybody listening to this. Mainly, I pray just that we would worship. There would just be a fresh sense of your goodness, of your glory, of your wisdom, of your beauty, of the beauty and splendor of your character, and we would worship you. We would enjoy you. We would savor you. We would relish you. And then, later today, tomorrow, next week, whatever it is, when the pain and pressure of life seem to come close and we're tempted false ways to protect ourselves, we remember we don't have to protect ourselves because you've already protected us in the most important way. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have any questions for Olin, please email him at olin.stubbs at campusoutreach.org